0: Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. U.S. President Donald Trump and ultra-conservative Pakistani religious scholars may have more in common than either would want to admit. A belief that congregation is an essential pillar of prayer, irrespective of public health concerns. Mr. Trump, however, may wish that he had the kind of less polarized and or more compliant audience that Pakistani clerics address. Scores of religious leaders and groups in the United States have sought to protect their communities by advocating virtual rather than physical congregation at the time of a pandemic in which the coronavirus has yet to be brought under control. Religious authorities in much of the Muslim world, Pakistan being the exception that proves the rule, have heeded government instructions and medical and public health advice. That advice ranged from the closure of mosques to bans on social gatherings that precluded traditional iftar meals, breaking the Ramadan fast, and celebrations of this week's end of the holy month. To Saudi Arabia's suspension of the Umrah, the lesser pilgrimage to Mecca, and possibly the Hajj too, leaving aside the question whether he has the legal power to do so, Mr. Trump vowed to overrule state governors who refused to open houses of worship, noting that the Center for Disease Control had issued guidelines that included physical distancing. The move designed to play to Mr. Trump's evangelist voter base, received a mixed reception among American faith communities. It appealed to those segments of the community with an unqualified belief in God's ability and will to protect, and that often are steeped in notions of Christian manhood that have deep roots in American evangelism and were boosted by the 9-11 attacks on New York's World Trade Towers and the Pentagon in Washington. Mr. Trump's recognition of prayer as an essential societal activity further drew a line intended to give houses of worship autonomy in an environment in which state intrusion into people's lives has expanded greatly in a bid to fight the pandemic. In that sense, the president was fighting a battle similar to that of Pakistani Sunni and Shia Muslim leaders who rejected a total closure of mosques, but were willing to accept guidance on issues such as physical distancing. The leaders see mosques as spaces where you cultivate and express a communal religious identity that is very central to their vision of the Pakistani state, said a Pakistani Islamic scholar. The cleric's determination to retain control of religious spaces, was reinforced by Prime Minister Imran Khan's flip-flops that resembled Mr. Trump's zigzags. Mr. Khan initially sought to appeal to religious circles by meeting in the early days of the pandemic with Maulana Tariq Jamil, a leader of the Tablighi Jamaat, who initially denied the contagious aspect of the virus. Mr. Jamil reversed course and embraced physical distancing after his movement's mass gatherings in Pakistan, Malaysia, India, and Indonesia turned into super-spreaders of the coronavirus. Mr. Khan's government further complicated issues by initially agreeing with religious leaders on a division of labor that would have empowered the clerics to advise their followers to stay at home, avoid congregational prayer, and maintain physical distancing and then jumping the gun to announce the measures without coordination. Mosques in major Pakistani cities were packed in recent days, despite religious leaders paying lip service to physical distancing, in a reflection of the degree to which ultra-conservatism has woven itself into the fabric of Pakistani society, and in stark contrast to Saudi Arabia's preemptive response to the health crisis. Pakistan's Supreme Court ruled against government lockdowns, suggesting that the coronavirus was not a pandemic. Religious leaders have since backed away from their acceptance of physical distancing, demanding that the advice be abandoned. Mr. Trump's recognition of prayer as essential aligned itself with notions of concepts of religious freedom promoted by his administration with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in the lead, that in effect served to legitimize discrimination against minorities of various stripes. Few doubt that Mr. Trump made his move with an eye on the US presidential election in November. Mr. Trump was embarking on a road on which mainstream ultra-conservative Pakistani clerics were also traveling. The clerics remained silent when Ahmadis, a sect viewed as heretic by mainstream Muslims, were excluded from a national commission created by the government earlier this month to promote religious tolerance and counter persecution of minorities. Pakistan's religious affairs ministry barred inclusion of Ahmadis, who are among Pakistan's most discriminated minorities on grounds that they did not qualify as a minority and refuse to recognize the country's constitution. A 1974 amendment of the constitution bars Ahmadis from identifying themselves as Muslims because they do not recognize Muhammad as the last prophet. Compared the polarizing environment that Mr. Trump operates in and likes to entrench, Pakistani clerics have it a lot easier. Except for liberals and human rights activists, few in Pakistan are willing to stand up for Ahmadi rights. Moreover, the government shied away from imposing its will on the religious establishment during the pandemic, as did the military, which built quarantine centers in various cities and helped local authorities implement a lockdown. Pakistan lacks truly influential, more liberal, religious voices in the mold of, for example, Reverend Curtis de Young, CEO of the Minnesota Council of Churches that groups African-American denominations, the mainline church, and the Greek Orthodox Church. We listen to communities of color, and many of our congregation's people are engaged in representing refugees and immigrants, African-Americans. Latinos, even seniors, they're saying, why the urgency, Mr. DeYoung said in response to Mr. Trump's push. They're directly affected. They're actually afraid, in many cases, to go into group gatherings. We feel that we need to make our decisions based on good science and the recommendations of our health department, the Reverend added. Mr. DeYoung was joined by his Muslim counterparts, in contrast To their Pakistani brethren. American Muslim scholars and community leaders have already determined that mosques will not be open in the near future because of the health concerns brought on by the pandemic. That's a determination for them to make, not for the president to make, said Ibrahim Hooper, communications director of the Council on American Islamic Relations the largest US Muslim civil rights and advocacy organization. To be sure, the United States and Pakistan are vastly different countries. Pakistan has been hard hit by the pandemic, with 55,657 cases of infection to date, and 1,155 deaths. Yet that is a far cry from the United States' is 1,613,324 cases and 96,659 deaths. Pakistan, nonetheless, saw its number of cases quadruple during the month of Ramadan, and the rate of new infections jumped by 30% in the last week as the holy month neared its end. Yet, when it comes to employing religion, to entrench power at the cost of striking a balance between faith and science, Mr. Trump and Pakistani religious scholars share the kind of opportunism and worldview that serve their short-term interests, irrespective of the cost to human life and potentially to already battered economies. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Best wishes, and take care in these trying times.